And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So today we are going to talk about the most ubiquitous thing inside of the human body, and that is our muscle cells. Uh, We have many different kinds, and they do just about everything from digesting our food to moving us about the world and even operating that life-giving organ in the middle of our chest, our heart. They allow it to beat 60 to 70 times a minute for 100 years. There's nothing more durable or more long-lasting or more powerful than the human muscle. And we are going to talk about all of it with the master of muscle, Dr. Roy Meals. And we're going to find out what makes them so special and why he dubs muscles the world's best motor. So let's get right into this. Dr. Roy Meals, thank you so much for being on the show today. So I want to get your name right. So you're Dr. Roy Meals, right? That's correct. Uh, So, I mean, there's no better name for a doctor uh, of muscle because that's what you need to put it on, right? Is a a bunch of meals. So I guess so, yeah. Proper meals. Now, is that that your real name or is that a stage name? No, that's me. That's a real name? Oh, that's great. So how far back does that name go? Were you like, you know, the uh, the meal steins when you came over or immigrated? (laughs) Well, uh, my uh, mother and father did some um, genealogy in their later years and Mm -hmm. The best we can figure is that the, the meal's name came from Germany, but somewhere on the Atlantic Ocean, it changed from M-E-H-L-S to mm-hmm. M-E-A-L-S. Got it. Okay. So, Michels. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Mel, uh, Mel's. <laughs> the Mills. Mills. Uh, so they weren't chefs. This doesn't, this isn't like a food centered family. Cause sometimes, you know, oh, it's funny. I know. Cause it's funny cause sometimes people's last <laughs> it name. Be, but that's, it could be, but that's coincidental. <laughs> right. But you, you know, you'd be surprised because a lot of people I've interviewed for some reason, their last name often dictate, I mean, you know, our last names usually come from, you know, people with the last name is Smith. Typically they were blacksmiths or sure. I knew a person who's in, her last name is English and she taught languages. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot of weird. Yeah. I knew a guy yeah, whose no, last name no, is no, Land. I had a master farmer. teacher who was named Trig. His last name was Trig. <laughs> <laughs> like in trigonometry. Sorry. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's, there's something to it, you know, uh, something weird to it. Uh, but so you're an ortho, just so I get your bona fides here. You're an orthopedic surgeon. You specialize in the hand, correct? That's correct. Um, and, you know, I found this kind of interesting on your kind of like bio page is you have a, an interest in animal, the diversity in the animal kingdom. So um, sure. various different adaptations and such, right? Uh, so yeah. how did that, how did that kind of influence what you went into? Because, I mean, hands are pretty cool. Hands are pretty specialized. Uh, but not every animal has them. Well, yeah, enough humans have them to enough, uh, yeah, be able to, right. <laughs> be able to, uh, to make it interesting. Sure, but, sure. Uh, um, I guess there were, there were two different threads. Is that just always been interested in being outside and mm-hmm. in uh, natural history. And I was nature counselor at Boy Scout camp and at a private camp uh, mm-hmm. in high school and a little bit in college. And uh, so it was natural for me to be a biology major in uh, uh, college. A- mm-hmm. And then, I mean, for instance, one thing is that 
when I was a nature counselor, I would keep the high school biology teachers animals, mostly snakes and turtles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would keep them during the summer, and then he would keep my animals in the uh, lab in the uh, uh, high school. Sure, uh, little swapping know, program, the school little, season. little animal right. swap. So, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And then the other uh, thread that got me into uh, orthopedics was that I basically grew up in a basement workshop in the Midwest, and it was hot in the summer and cold in the winter outside. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, building things and deconstructing things and uh, understanding um, wood and what you could do with it. And so when I got to medical school and found out that I could do the same with bone mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of my life that I've been doing with wood, that that seemed like a, a good deal with me. And so combination of natural science and um um, you know, mechanical interests, uh, here I am. So when you walked as a kid, so did you kind of get inspired to be a doctor by walking around your neighborhood and wondering and getting an insatiable urge to see what their insides <laughs> look like? Or how did that kind of, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it was mostly just that, um, I wanted something that would be challenging for my uh, entire career. And, uh, and there were no doctors in my family and I, was healthy. So I really didn't have a lot of contact with doctors other than, you know, moaning when I got my <laughs> immunizations from my pediatrician and so sure. forth. But right. I, I just, um, it just seemed like, you know, an interesting area to go into. Uh, well, it certainly is for sure. And you've done it for a long time. You've done it for so long that if I understand this correctly, in March of 2020, you retired you sent That's out right. a letter to all of your patients, you know, uh, <laughs> sending them off. But then in 2020, you pulled like a Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, and you came out of retirement. Uh, was that because you just couldn't get out of the spotlight? Or was someone, did someone hold something over your head and he had pulled you back in? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. I, uh, I, I had been in private practice, and then at the beginning of lockdown, uh, it was easy for me to uh, step out. And, uh, and because we basically had to, had to close the office. And so then um, after a month, I said, being at home and being able to write and garden and walk the dog and sleep as late as I wanted, that felt pretty good. And so I lived, that, lived with that for a month or so. And then I told my wife about it and we lived with it for a month or so. And so then I told my partner but that I wasn't uh, coming back. And so I was perfectly fine. Um, but then um, UCLA was getting backed up on um, – seeing new patients, particularly patients who uh, needed early follow-up if they'd been in the emergency room with a wrist fracture and so forth, they needed to be seen that week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they they asked me if uh, I would see patients one day a week. Mm -hmm. And I presented that idea to my wife and she said, yes, (laughs) you know, get out of the house. (laughs) Yeah, anything gets you out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Happy to to have you out of the house and go back to work. And so I've been doing that for about a year and a half. And that basically just... uh, converts my long string of seven-day weekends into a long string of six-day weekends and uh, uh, doesn't uh, cramp my style at all. And um, I I enjoy it. You know, you spend 40 years becoming wise. It's nice to be able to share your wisdom uh, with that. And so um, I I have fun doing it, and it's good for my social interaction and mental health, I'm sure, to, uh, um, you know, be engaged in thinking hard. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's good. So I'll, I'll do that as long as I, uh, I guess, as long as they'll let me or that I, uh, that I can show up at the right place at the right time. Sure. Well, I mean, look, it's great for your wife's mental health as well. 
you know, I think, <laughs> I think so. we need to consider her, you know, um, Absolutely. I, I mean, look, I think you'll probably do this until, you know, maybe you do have a surgery and you put the left hand on the right arm or something like that. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Um, but, uh, you know, well, let's Not hope you don't. Of. Right. right. <laughs> no one's complained about it. <laughs> no, no. But in fact, I, uh, I stopped doing surgery seven years ago, mm -hmm. uh, because I had planned ahead that I just wanted to stop before somebody told me I should have stopped. Right. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I mean, for that very reason. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I stopped long before lockdown or not long before, but a few years before lockdown okay. and was just, you know, seeing patients and somebody needed surgery then, then um, uh, shunt them off to my partner. Sure. I mean, that's that's kind of the move. Right. And I don't mean to bring up any controversy. I know you would never put someone's left hand on their right arm. That's silly. But we do have a little bit of business, a little bit of controversy. We need to tackle right up front here. You seem like a nice okay. guy, so I don't want to hit you with it too hard. But let's talk serious here. Uh, so you wrote a book called Muscle, uh, The Gripping Story of Strength and Movement. It's a great title, by the way. Um, but yet. But yet. Can I call you Roy? Can we get that familiar? Please. Dr. Meals, Roy. Listen, Please. Roy, we got Roy. something else. So you own a website called aboutbone.com. It's a blog site. You wrote a book called Bones Inside and Out. You have right. an Instagram page that is littered with bone pictures and bone facts. And so I need to understand, and the rest of the world does as well, where does your allegiance lie? Are you on Team Muscle? Are you on the Bone Squad? Because you can only, you know, you got to be on one, one or the other here. Uh, uh, when you put it like that, I'd have to go with bone. Bone, really? That's it. Yeah. So, okay, so then here's another question. Gun to your head, you know, well, which we are not going to do. We're not going to, this is a hypothetical gun to your head, not a real right, gun okay. to your head. I don't have anyone outside your house. But if you could only have one or the other, bones or muscle, what would you have? What, in my body? In your body. Yeah, you only get one. Uh, muscle. Muscle. Okay, so you just be a blob, a working blob without any structure. You're you're fine. A jellyfish or a jellyfish or an earthworm. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I mean, I okay, guess there are because, a lot of skeletal. Well, because yeah, because there are lots of animals mm -hmm. uh, without bone, and they do fine. Uh, you know, jellyfish, um, grasshoppers, uh, earthworms, uh, but that there are no animals that have bones and no muscles. That's a that's a really interesting selection of animals that you chose. Jellyfish, grasshoppers, and what was the other one? Earthworms. Earthworms. <laughs> that's well, pretty interesting. But, but um, amoeba, uh -huh. amoeba. Um, oh, there are others. Know. No, I know there are others. I know there are. We don't have to go through the full animal kingdom. But I, I just that, that was an interesting selection. I did, I never thought of grasshoppers as not having bones, but sure, of course they don't. <laughs> that's great right. that's well and also uh, another classification would be uh, all the uh, the shelled animals snails and mm -hmm. clams and so forth right uh, they, they they have you know skeletons but they don't have bones that's right which is kind of a it's a mind-blowing kind of a concept but that is that is true kind of where their bones mm -hmm. on their back you know shells can are kind of like external bones in some ways absolutely right um so uh your so your book before we get you know, before we get into the, the heart of the matter here I got two other questions for you um your writing style uh by one reviewer was described as a cross between Dr Seuss and O Henry did you take that as a compliment I, I did. I did very much so. <laughs> <Did you? laughs> There's a lot of rhyming, a lot of uh, weird colored food. Uh, is that why they did that or uh, just because no, it's accessible? I think, uh, I think O. Henry in terms of just the, um, you know, the personal nature. I mean, I think back to the story about the gift of the Magi mm -hmm. and, you know, he really made the story come alive by describing the, 
people's personalities. And yeah. um, th th that reviewer was reviewing a, a book that um, is called 100 Orthopedic Conditions That Every Doctor Should Understand. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that a number of years ago because uh, medical students needed a, a entry-level uh, book, but that rather than just a dry dissertation of facts is that I uh, wrote uh, each chapter uh, as uh, uh, sort of a, a patient uh, mm. case study. Okay. But that I put names on these fictitious names on these patients and, and, you know, gave them personalities. And some of these patients would then show up in other chapters later in the book under other other uh, circumstances. And so, uh, uh, you know, that made it fun. So, I mean, mm. uh, these, uh, these people all had uh, personality quirks sure. and that sometimes I'd introduce them in a later chapter without mm. saying what their name was and, uh -huh. and let the reader, you know, Figure kind of out. discover yeah. that, uh, uh, you know, this is the same guy that they'd read about flat foot, right. you know, 20 <laughs> chapters previously. And so I think that was the, uh, the, the Dr. Seuss part of it, just the surprise or the fun. Sure. Um, uh, of it. And, and um, uh, so then I've tried to continue that in informative, but, you know, lighthearted, friendly uh, nature with my other books. Yeah, you definitely capture it. I mean, there's not a lot of rhyming. So the Dr. Seuss part, I didn't understand. But there's, you know, uh, it's it's very accessible, uh, surprisingly so. And so the name of your first book, what, what was it called again? Uh, 100 orthopedic conditions that every doctor should understand. That's so that is a very descriptive title. Now that is only rivaled by uh, the 1855 Nikolai Pergov classic, an illustrated topographic <laughs> anatomy of saw cuts made in three dimensions across the frozen human body. Uh, so, you know, it's not as pithy as muscle or gripping history of strength and movement, but uh, it gets the job done. I'm not sure that that's a, an, a, a, an adequate, you know, an accurate translation from the Russian from Pierre book, so, <laughs> so it, it, it may not actually be a rival. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not, but it is uh, It is funny. Uh, and last thing, last thing here, because I could not believe I found this in your book. Completely off topic, but how did you become involved in chess boxing, and what exactly is it? Oh, 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 absolutely. No, I, I just found that on the internet because I was, I was looking at endurance sports or boxing or something like that and yeah. just came across it where uh, you, you box around and then you sit down and you play chess for two minutes and then you get up and box another round and i mean what an incredible mix of of mental and physical yeah. uh, activity those people would be drained for a week i would think after they uh, uh, finish that yeah i think you win by a, a checkmate or a tko whichever you get first <laughs> either one i think right? i think it's either one uh this is totally bizarre <laughs> i thought maybe you were in it and maybe you focus like you know maybe you focused on the chess part and hoped you didn't get knocked out before you checkmate i wasn't sure what your strategy would be but um... uh, no but that's an idea i hadn't really considered it because i mean mm -hmm. in, in preparation for the muscle book i did begin um uh training twice a week with a, a personal trainer mm -hmm. who, who is a former champion bodybuilder uh himself and then uh, he um, we were talking about it and so i one day um, went to a, a bodybuilding contest um as a contestant uh, as a no, as a spectator, not oh. as a contestant. Oh, man. As a contestant. Get you. That, okay. Uh, you know, maybe with this idea of uh, chess boxing mm -hmm. that uh, <laughs> I should um, I, I should consider that. I, I want to tell you yeah. that um, uh, my my next book, my third book in the mm -hmm. Musculoskeletal Trilogy mm -hmm. is going to be on ligaments. And that's just in the proposal form now. But yeah. that, um, 
the tentative title for that is uh, ligaments uh, silently holding you together uh, until they don't. <laughs> the, um, the tentative title? Ten, yeah. No, you the, get that? The, tendentive uh, title? I th- oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, because you miss tendons in there, man. It's gotta be a, there's got to be a secret epilogue with the tendons. You can't just have That's ligaments. Right. But I just wanted to tell you that, that in addition to deciding to walk the walk with personal training mm-hmm. and go to the bodybuilder contest for the ligament book, mm-hmm. uh, I want to uh, start taking contortion classes and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, stretch my ligaments and either either become an acrobat in uh, a Cirque du Soleil or sure. uh, become a pole dancer in a local park. <laughs> I, <loved, laughs> so, I love that you're hitting this stuff. There's never too late. Yeah. I definitely want to walk the walk. I don't, you know, so I, I may take up a chess, uh, chess boxing for the same reason. Well, you know, thanks for, if, thanks for the idea. If you start doing that, I want to follow your journey. So please give me exclusive <laughs> access uh, to your training regimen. I want to do that. Definitely. Uh, uh, well, and also you mentioned sword swallowing in your book. So I, I are you doing that as well? No, uh, but that's another idea. I, yeah. I appreciate this uh, interaction today because sure. that gives me uh, plenty of things to do on those six days that I'm right. unemployed. Right. Uh, secretly, your wife gave me a call and said, can you keep him busy? And I said, let me, I got it. Don't worry. I got it, ma'am. I'll take care of him. I'll get him out of your hair for you. Uh, well, do you think we could come up, do you think we could come up with a, a, a new sport, uh, chess, boxing, sword swallowing? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, that's not bad. It's not bad. You got to sw- swallow the sword between I rounds. I think you'd have to, I think you'd have to swallow the sword after the chest and not immediately after the boxing. So you wouldn't be so out of breath. Yeah. I, you know what? It's weird that you say that because I wondered, is it possible to accidentally stick a sword down your trachea instead of your esophagus? Cause that would be devastating. Well, yeah, if you bend your head back far enough, you you got a pretty straight shot through your mouth, through your esophagus into your stomach. Yeah. But that in your trachea, you get down not very far, uh, and then it branches in the two bronchi. So uh, you'd you'd do yourself some serious damage. Yeah. And you'd know pretty quick. You'd know pretty quick. I think so. Yeah, yeah. You'd know pretty quick. Well, we got to work out some kinks here, but I like what you're doing. We're putting something together here. You know, everyone listening, stay tuned. Uh, you know, the, That's the, right. the, don't do not try this at home. No, no, no. Roy Meals, uh, <laughs> we, boxing promoter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just stay tuned. Uh, but you know, speaking of you know uh, vaudevillian acts and, and carnival uh, carnival tricks, I've always been a big pro wrestling fan, and so when it comes to muscles. You know, I at an early age was just kind of kind of like the um, I don't want to call myself a Renaissance artist kind of person, but like the Renaissance artist, I was obsessed with with the male human form because muscles were so cool to me. You know, they kind of dictated manlyhood. Um, they they seemed sure. you know, they also give weird definition and they're also strange looking, right? Like your chest muscle, it's just a bunch of squares down your body and just weird ovals and circles and egg shaped. You know, it's strange. And I was really skinny as a kid, so I didn't have any definition, I think, which is why I got kind of into it. And my brothers, I've got two uh, younger brothers. Now, they happen to be half brothers, so the genetics aren't identical, but they have the ability to work out for a month and kind of put on bulk and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger with almost no work. Whereas I have been putting in work for, you know, since I was in high school. So, uh, 
And I, I look, you know, I look okay, but I don't look like they do. I can't quite put on the muscle mass they can. And you talk a lot about the differences in genetics because muscle, you know, skeletal muscle we're talking about is kind of different from person to person, you know? Oh, sure. Very different. Well, I mean, one thing is that um, we talk about fast twitch and, and slow twitch right, yeah. uh, fibers. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the slow twitch fibers uh, make for um, good endurance uh, sports, but then mm -hmm. they don't really fire very fast. And so that uh, a high jumper or a basketball player or a weightlifter mm -hmm. is genetically endowed with a high proportion of um, fast twitch fibers. Got it. Uh, but that, but they don't make good cross country skiers or good marathon runners. Right. Uh, whereas a, a, a marathon runner has is well endowed with slow twitch fibers, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, you know, provide fantastic endurance, but they just don't fire uh, quickly enough to high jump eight feet. Right. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is true. You know, I, it's funny you say that because I, I was, I grew up a basketball player and when I was in track, I did high jump, long jump, uh, but they also tried to get me into endurance running, which I could not stand running. I, it just was not, not my thing. And, and this, so this fast twitch, slow twitch is, is kind of an interesting Discussion And for people listening, I think you do a great job in the book of really outlining how you can visualize this. You know, if you're at if you're having a chicken, the white meat is your fast twitch and your dark meat is your slow twitch. Right. Is right. that kind of close enough? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. OK. Yeah. And and the, the reason. So I would the reason. Well, you, I want you to explain the reason. Why does white meat? Why is it so much different than dark meat? Because the the oxygen carrying molecule in our blood is, is hemoglobin. Okay, you know that's what makes our, our our blood cells red. Right, and the oxygen carrying molecule in muscle is a very closely um, is a molecule that's very closely um, like uh, hemoglobin, mm -hmm. but it's called myoglobin. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of a a reddish color itself, and and so then particularly. Uh, when it's heated, it, it turns brown. And so the um, muscle that is uh, high quantity of um, myoglobin uh, is going to be the dark meat. It's going to be the uh, the legs and thighs. Got it. And the muscle that doesn't have as much myoglobin in it is the uh, white meat, uh, which, which are the fast twitch muscles. And so if a chicken wants to fly up into the roost or fly up into a tree or something, it just needs to flap its wings momentarily. And so those fast twitch muscles uh, in its uh, pectoral muscles will, will get it up there. Yeah. But if it wants to walk around the barnyard all afternoon, mm -hmm. it's going to use its slow twitch muscles in its thighs and, and uh, uh, legs um, to uh, strut around. Now, the, you know when they peck the ground, that little pecking motion, are those, those must be fast twitch because they peck the ground pretty fast <laughs> and hard, right? Uh, you'd have to ask the chicken. All right. That, right? <laughs> all, right. all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I don't know. It depends on, depends on how discriminating they are. If they, if, you know, if they don't care whether it's an ant or a beetle yeah. and they just want to go for it yeah. and it may be fast twitch, but if they, if they have a particular uh, flavor mm -hmm. that they're interested in, then, then maybe they uh, take it a little bit more slow. Got it. They consider their meal 
you know, then they, uh, I think so. Right. 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 Uh, so this is, let's go, let's go far back. Right. I want to go back a little bit. So, um, in, in the, in your book, you talk about the definition of life. And I found this really interesting because I wish I'd read this book two months ago because I just, I have another podcast that I do about pop culture science called fascinating gadgets, gizmos, gear-based technologies. And we use the definition of life to basically prove that transformers were actually alive. These, you know, intelligent Mm -hmm. robots. And I wish I had this laid out because you do a great job. Uh, it's uh, Mrs. Gren, I think, is how you is the um, mm-hmm. what's that? What's it called? A mnemonic device? Is that right? That's right. Um, so it's movement, respiration, sensitivity, growth, reproduction, excretion, and nutrition. Now these are all the basic signs of life. If something has these, it is alive uh, by scientific definition. And in the book, you say that muscle. Our muscle systems, the various different types of muscles, are involved in every single one of these. Is that is that right? Yes. Even so, that's great. I mean, so that's how important muscles are in, in the in the human body. That's right. Now let me think about this because. Um, All right. Okay. The, the mnemonic, those characteristics uh, are, yeah, I guess the definition of life. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll go with that. Right. Okay. And, and muscles involved in, in every single one of those. I'm not going to take you to court over this, I promise. It's just more for a fun conversation. So you're safe. legally. You're not legally liable for this. But <laughs> okay. uh, but it is interesting because I didn't I don't think I think I had most of this, but it would have been nice to, to refer to this. Uh, and you say that 40 percent of our bodies are made up of muscle. Now, is that that can't yeah. be by weight because obviously some it people. Is. Oh, it is by weight. Yep. Is that, but that can't always be the case, you know? I mean, I've met well, some people I mean, who are 350 well, women, pounds uh, and it's not muscle. I mean, uh, on, on average, women will be a little less, maybe 36%, something like that. Okay. But we got a lot of muscle. We sh- so, Most people, some people. Um, yeah. And so there's different types. There's skeletal, smooth, and cardiac. And I've also been fascinated with cardiac muscle. And you really just uh, kind of uh, inflamed my, my passion for this stuff because – you talk about it in ways that are just kind of hard to wrap your head around because the cardiac muscle, your heart, uh, and that's really the only place that cardiac muscle is located, it beats 70 to 100 times a minute for over 100 years. That's really what it's designed to do. That's pretty crazy. Um, have you ever thought, you know, in some of your darker mad scientist moments, have you ever considered if we replaced our skeletal muscle with cardiac muscle, because I believe they're very, very similar, uh, would you create a race of super endurance, uh, higher evolved creatures? Was that our next level of evolution? Um, I may have to get back to you on that. The uh, <laughs> Off the top of my head, the cardiac muscle is incredibly uh, durable, mm-hmm. but that it really just contracts with one level of intensity. Okay. I mean, it may it may contract more um, uh, frequently, mm-hmm. you know, at a higher rate mm-hmm. uh, when you're exercising than when you're sleeping. Right. Uh, but that uh, it's just pretty steady. But that um, I don't know that you could call on it to, for instance, uh, you know, do a power lift. Okay. Uh, or um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, run up a flight of stairs uh, if you just wanted to you know uh, lift uh, silverware mm-hmm. uh, 80 times a minute um, <laughs> for 100 years uh, i think that would be fine right, but right. i think in terms of the, the variation of, of 
you know, picking up and moving a chair or, um, you know, lifting up the hood on your car or something like that. I, I, I think that skeletal muscle was going to be better. Well, I mean, unless you want to lift your hood 80 times a minute, then it's, then it's, <laughs> I, right. then it's ideal. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so right. Let's, I want to be specific for people listening in case I don't want to, I don't want to totally really, really hard up, really hard up for things to do. <laughs> yeah. In that case. yeah. I don't want to poo poo the idea outright. Uh, and this other thing we're going to talk about here, this was really cool is that the brain can't express thoughts without contracting muscles. Uh, this, uh, we're, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but this really kind of blew my mind. I mean, I guess this is the basis for mentalists and poker players uh, and people like that who are able to read someone's face and know right. what they're thinking without, you know, without the person even knowing they're doing the thing that the other person's reading. Well, I know, but I mean, for instance, in a, in a grocery scale, is it, uh, you know, sign language uh, that requires, um, you know, muscle contraction, mm -hmm. you know, are uh, facial expressions that even though the ones that we intend to do, mm -hmm. um, you know, smile, frown. Uh, you know, that's all, all, uh, muscles. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, these, uh, uh, micro, uh, movements that the poker players read and the mentalists read, mm -hmm. you know, it may just be a, a pulsation in your neck or a, a slight uh, flicker in your facial muscles that you're not even aware of. And it yeah. goes by in a fifth, in a fifth of a second or something like that. There are people who are adept at picking these up and uh, reading them. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's crazy to me. I mean, just just the thought of being people. Cause I've had a mentalist do a trick on me, and uh, yeah, I love magic, and so you know, I don't always like to know the trick, but that's the trick I want to know because I don't always want to give away, you know, what I'm thinking or feeling. Especially, there's certain people right. who kind of drone on a little bit, and you don't want to give off the impression that they're boring, but um, you want to be polite. And I always feel like those would give that away. Those types of facial expressions. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't want to do that. Uh, but let's go back. So let's go into the history. Right. So anatomy comes from someplace. Right. The history of the study of anatomy is also fascinating. And in your book, you talk about a few things uh, in, in India. This this is really I hadn't heard this before. <laughs> but in India, uh, because a dead body is sacrosanct, they put it in a stream and they whisk off the skin to study what's underneath. And this is because they don't want to actually touch the body. Is that what's the story? That's right. Okay. That's right. I mean, it was the religious and cultural norms at the time. This was like 6,000 BC. And yeah. this was the really the father of Indian medicine, Shushutra, uh, who um, advocated that every medical student should dissect, but that there was this, uh, uh, you know, edict that uh, the human corpse should only be touched in preparation for uh, uh, burial or, or uh, cremation. But he got around it by saying that the student should obtain a body and put it in a wicker basket and put it in a slow moving stream. And then uh, after a week or so, um, uh, you could whisk the uh, tissues apart without ever touching it and um, get an idea of the anatomy. But you, you can imagine how how crude that was and um, how unsavory it, it would have had to be. <laughs> I can't. I can unfortunately imagine it. Uh, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to imagine that. But that's how we first started looking at mu and muscles are the first things that you see. Right. I mean, when you're whisking off the obviously the skin, it moves sure. away. And you got muscle underneath, uh, which is which is kind of crazy. The Egyptians would remove organs. Um, so basically, you're kind of seeing the insides of someone piece by piece as they come out through the. Well, well that's very interesting because I don't. It seems like that I think they said there were like 70 million 
That seems like an awfully big it's number. A lot. I, uh, Whatever you're going to say, that's a lot. The, but but there were there were millions of ancient Egyptians who were um, uh, mummified. But that you would think that all of the dissection that was done, uh, that they would have learned a lot of anatomy and pathology. Mm -hmm. But in reality, what happened is that there was a, a different order of workers who would prepare the um, bodies for mummification and they were separate from the physicians mm. and so typically the mummifiers would make small incisions in the for the various body cavities and um, uh, mince up the internal organs before they removed them and so there was really uh, no chance to study uh, the anatomy so that even though there was a vast amount of dissection going on is that they really didn't advance uh, anatomical science. Yeah, I guess if you're just, I mean, that's like giving like your brain a lobotomy and then sucking it out with a straw is basically what you're saying. That's, right. uh, that's pretty much what that's they did. Right. I would encourage listeners to uh, to read about that. We don't need to no. <laughs> describe the <laughs> describe the details. No, 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 no. Let's let's not let's not. Uh, but anyway, so this is the, the early anatomy was, was was kind of interesting, and so. It was very a very inact, inaccurate science until very you know till very very recently. Uh, but muscles, you know, as I said, it's the first thing that you see if you take off the skin. Muscles are everywhere. We talked about it. They do everything in your body, uh, and you call it in your book. I think the world's best motor. I mean, do you still stand yeah, by that? Absolutely. Okay. Well, now, why do, why do you think it's so good? Well, I mean, best is a big thing. Best is like it's not. It's a good motor. It's an okay motor. The best motor. <laughs> Lots of options out there. Okay. You're saying it's number one. All right. Well, I mean, uh, pick your favorite automobile. Uh, that motor may be good for 20 years if it's carefully serviced, mm -hmm. but not typically 100 years in a in a, in a given person. Right. Uh, muscles been around for hundreds of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. um, mechanical motors haven't been around. Um, you know, nearly so long, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, they can operate on a variety of different fuels. You can eat oatmeal or you can, you, you know, uh, eat um, marshmallows and fuel your uh, muscle. Another interesting um, selection of, of items to eat. <laughs> or grasshoppers. Or grasshoppers. grasshoppers. Sure. <laughs> yep. yep. Or worms. <laughs> Whatever you need to fuel them with. But you, you, can't, you can't put worms in your in your gas tank. Or in your oatmeal. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, and have them work. Right, and, right. You know, then also uh, you can scale your muscles. If you um, want them to get stronger, you can stress them mm -hmm. and they'll respond to that. But you're... Um, your automobile motor won't uh, won't do that, you know. Nor your um, motor in your dishwasher or uh, garbage disposal or anything like that. It, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, the thing that you say is interesting about muscles versus kind of what, as you're talking about with motors or anything else in the body, is the more you stress your muscles out and work them, the stronger and better they get. It's completely the opposite of kind of everything else. So this this is, uh, I mean, a a strange but necessary dynamic, really. You know, I think so. Yeah, uh, but that's kind of cool. I mean, do, does that does that surprise you, or is there anything else that? I mean, does your brain? Your brain must get actually. The more you stress it out, the better it gets, right? The more neural networks well, you make. Well, I mean, I think. I mean, you know, there's there's a Aristotelian mean. You you have to. I don't know what that um, means. I'm well, eighth grade I, level for well, me. I'm not a doctor. I just pretend to be one. <laughs> no, there's a, a a middle range. Okay. 
because I mean, I you can certainly that. over overwork your muscles and there'd be so damn sore you can't move right uh, the next day. Yeah. Uh, but that uh, if you're a couch potato and you don't move them at all, they're, they're, your body says, well, they're no use to me. Uh, you know, let's let's get flabby. Right. Um, but so, you know, so there's a, a mid range within that mid range. Then, you know, by doing resistance training a couple uh, times a week and on, on a scale where, uh, you know, the bodybuilders and weightlifters have learned that. Um, in this range of activity, your, your muscles will respond to it, but that, you know, they're, they're also smart about not, um, doing resistance training every day because uh, right. that's going to uh, wear your muscles out and actually cause them to deteriorate. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it's funny cause you hear these stories about professional athletes who do two a days, three a days, you work out in the morning, work out at night. Uh, a lot of these guys works, work out seven days a week. I imagine you can keep that up for a limited amount of time, but the way it sounds, a lot of these guys, they kind of go all out all the time. Well, a couple things. I, um, I would suspect that they're working different muscle groups. I mean, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who go to the gym every day, but they tell me they do their abs on one day and their, their legs on another day and their back on another day and their upper limbs on, on another day. Right. So they're, they're not doing their abs seven days in a row. But then, you know, there's a lot of bro science to all of this sure. that um, uh, the, uh, the the ideas in the gym often run far ahead and maybe far afield from uh, the ideas that uh, are actually tested in the, uh, you know, laboratory. Right. Uh, and then... Uh, the laboratory science is, is not all that good because uh, a lot of that uh, comes from uh, college classes in kinesiology and human anatomy mm -hmm. and so forth like that. And that, uh, you know, who are the subjects in these studies? Well, they're, they're college right, students. Yeah. And how long do the studies last? Well, they last one term. So a lot of the scientific studies that, that say, well, you should work out uh, twice a week and you should do um, – uh, three sets of 12 reps uh, and uh, on like that. Um, well, that may be good for a college student over three months, but that necessarily doesn't extrapolate to, to what is right for a 50 or a 60 year old person mm -hmm. uh, over, uh, you know, 12 months or, or, right. or two years. And, and so uh, a lot of the stuff that goes on in the um, gym uh, some of it's ego driven. You know, you see that girl over there bench pressing a hundred pounds. You say, well, my goodness, I'm not going to let her out bench press me. Right. And so <laughs> you break your back to, uh, right. you know, keep your, keep your ego in shape. Sure. And then also is they say, well, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger's book that was written in the seventies, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, um, techniques that he used are, are entirely discounted. Uh, these days. Yeah. Uh, so the bro science is better. Uh, and, but also the bro science that works for one person, like you say, with your half brothers yeah. is that it may not, um, you know, work for everybody else. And so, yeah. um, uh, I can't say that a lot of it is uh, scientifically based. See, here's what's, I mean, that's a really interesting point, but it's also funny because I was just talking to someone about how human beings have this, we love to put patterns together. And so uh, sure. we don't we sometimes string together 
patterns that aren't really correlated, uh, but they seem to be. And, you know, you can't argue with the results of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just watched a documentary on him. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've both the recent one and, and the original uh, pump up something, pump me up, pumps. I don't remember the one in the 70s where they followed him around. Uh, he's I mean, as far as bodybuilders go, he might have the most impressive, perfect physique of all time. I mean, as far as bodybuilders go, I mean, he was really an incredible specimen. So it's hard to say that what he did, like you said, it worked for him. But you can completely understand where other bodybuilders who want to emulate that would do the same things that he did. But they may not have the gifts and it may not have worked. And he may have just gotten lucky. But that's I, I like use bro science a lot in this book. And it's it's hard to pull away from that, I think, sometimes. But you're right. The, the science is science. But also the science you're talking about, again, flawed because the group is very specific, very young, you know, a young College age body is extraordinarily different uh, than a 50 year old body, unfortunately, for mm -hmm. everyone. So there's a lot of misinformation out there about how to improve your muscles, which is really where all of our attention is. Right. And you also have to understand that um, according to who you are and what your desires are is, um, you know, some supplemental uh, testosterone um, mm -hmm. may uh, move things along. Right. Faster. Sure. I didn't I, I didn't expect a medical doctor to tell me to start juicing, but um, uh, hey, <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you want to get results. Uh, so that works. I mean, you're saying if you. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you're cracking me up here cracking me up here Roy uh so so let's talk really quickly um I, uh, we're, we are into this we haven't even talked about how muscles work because I think the the skeletal system you know it's kind of this biological pulley you know pulley system in your body it's really fascinating how do muscles work and i do want to caution you because in your book you use this elaborate viking ship analogy and i have to tell you i got lost uh somewhere in the mediterranean so if, if we could <laughs> just simplify it how uh, on a base level how do muscles work and contract and also to what level do they contract what what are our abilities with the muscle? Well, the, the muscle is made up of, of two proteins, okay. which are long, just, just uh, long chains of amino acids. Okay. But in a, in a word, these uh, proteins uh, move against each other. They'll, they'll, they'll slide against each other. And so when they get an electrical stimulation from the, the nerve, then that's converted to a, a chemical messenger, which makes these, these uh, two proteins, um, uh, mesh in on each other. So it's like if your fingertips were, were like this, and and then with that electrical message, they they do that. And, and so that uh, th those proteins, um, you know, in, incredibly microscopic, but that they can shorten uh, by about 25%. Now, for those listening, you are intermeshing your fingers, and you're saying that they get pulled together towards each other. That's okay. right. That's right. And so, but if you put a million of these in a line and they each contract by 25%, well, then you, you have a visible um, contraction of your, uh, of your muscle. And so the, the, the muscle um, crosses a joint. And so as the muscle contracts, well, then it's going to um, close the joint. Got it. Okay. And this is, you know, what, what I, the thing I found interesting is we, uh, so our body gives us chemical signals. And from what I understand from your book, 
our muscles are actually capable of much more. As a matter of fact, some of our muscles are even capable of tearing our own ligaments, our own tendons, breaking our own bones. So our body right. gives off signals that if we're overdoing it, like, hey, hey, ho, hey, easy there, tough guy. Let's back off a little bit because you're going to hurt yourself. But what's interesting, right. so basically, if I have this, this, this bro math correct, the average person can use their muscles to about 60% of their capabilities. Elite athletes, through training or through genetics are able to shut down some of those signa signa uh, signals and get to about 80%. Right. That's right. And then in extreme situations, uh, I think you say that stress and different types of things reset those signals. So someone, uh, you know, let's say a mother has her child trapped underneath a car. I always thought it was adrenaline that will get you to go to basically 100% of your muscle ability. But you're saying that's not. It's shutting down these signals to then get 100% output of your what you're capable of. Well, I mean, there are stretch receptors in in the muscles that that uh, are protectors, and they they tend to shut it down, like you say, with training. You yeah. can maybe um, kind of uh, ignore those stretch receptors, and that some people probably just have uh, less uh, genetic. Uh, maybe maybe they have fewer stretch receptors, or their the stretch receptors are are, are less sensitive, and so okay. that they can uh, activate their muscles uh, more powerfully. But these stories about um, uh, a mother uh, lifting a car to uh, get her child out is that uh, there's probably more to it than just uh, a muscle going to 80 or 100%. Uh, I think um, uh, if you look closely at these stories is that oftentimes, uh, you know, the, the tail end of the car is not lifted up, but, but maybe um, if let's say the, the child is caught between a muffler and the, and the ground is that somebody can, can lift the springs up enough not to actually lift a wheel off the ground, but to lift um, the bottom side of the car up enough to let the kid out. There are instances like I've read where uh, two girls uh, tilted over a tractor to let their father out, but that was sort of like a, a, a tripod situation where they, they just, you know, rebalanced this uh, unbalanced and overturned, uh, overturned vehicle. You're destroying the mythology um, of these stories. Roy. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're taking the fantasy out of these, the, uh, the, the, the sizzle out of the steak. Well, yeah, but I mean, uh, I like to approach this as scientifically as I can. And, uh, so right. fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. So, so we may not be as capable as some of these stories, some of these more, um, extraordinary and astounding stories may suggest some of these are situational, uh, you know, as you mentioned with leverage or even small little um, machines may be involved, getting something up on a tripod, you know, or maybe a pulley system. But but in these situations, we are capable. Of, I can, can I at least say that we're capable of more than the 80 percent. You know, I mean, at least that even if it's not the full 100 percent of what your muscles are capable of, these types of situations will allow for more than 80. Is that fair? I don't know that that's ever been tested. Okay. Because, because I mean, volitionally, um, I think everybody at eighty percent, their brain's going to say um, that's too much. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then people have seizures, mm -hmm. for instance, they they can break bones. Right. Uh, they, they their muscles will contract so forcefully that it, um, it you know it it pulls bone apart. Yeah, Jesus. Um, and uh, you know, occasionally an arm wrestler will um, break his humerus because of the uh, you know the forceful stress uh, on that mm -hmm. uh, but that 
uh, I don't think an arm wrestler was going to want to go to the lab and, you know, have his arm <laughs> instrumented and then say, uh, let's see if we can't break your arm right, today. Right, right. <laughs> so That's fair I, point. I, I think that, I think that question is going to have to remain unanswered. Yeah, no, I guess, I guess that's, that's, I didn't think about that. Uh, that's pretty interesting. And so a lot of this stuff is really, it's a lot of speculation because we can't prove it. Like you said, those are situations that are almost impossible to prove, mm -hmm. right? Um, right. So uh, one other thing here before we, before we, I can't believe we're, we're getting close on time here. This is insane to me. One of the things in your book that I thought was really interesting, and I have to be very careful with what I say here. Um, but I thought it was, it, it, this is one of those astounding things that I read. Uh, and so basically in your book, you talk about how human bodies are, ex have a lot of variation to them. Oh yeah. And that there are these strange oddities where you mentioned that some people have internal variations where all of their internal organs are actually flipped like to the mirror image so that like their livers on, instead of being on the right side, on the left side or their hearts withdraw. Is that... Is that really true? People can. Oh yeah. No, it, it's 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 rare, but that it, it's it's recognized as, as being the case. It's called situs inversus. Just basically invert the site of everything. That's and and also that you talk about how there are some. Um, there are, so I, I so there's I've heard of this before, but this is always dismissed as being completely untrue. And I think for the most part of what I heard growing up is completely untrue. I won't go into details, but that there are certain people that can actually have additional tendons that don't exist in some other people. Or um, uh, I think you mentioned the plantaris muscle is sometimes absent. So some people can actually have extra tendons, ligaments and muscles and other people mm -hmm. can not have them at all. Uh, this is this is crazy. Are these random genetic mutations or are these just normal uh, situations that just happen way more way more likely than just chance? OK, well, the way I like to look at it is that uh, you're in a crowd of people and that there's a few people who are four or nine and there's a few people who are six, seven. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of individual variation in height yeah. when you look at skin color or, um, you know, body build and, um, you know, face, uh, facial shapes and so forth is that there's a lot of external human variation. And, and to me, that's what makes looking at humans interesting is if we, you know, we're all five, seven and brunette and 150 pounds, it would be you know, kind of boring to look at people. Some people like going to Sweden because there's a lot of good looking people over there. They all look very similar, but they're all very attractive. I, so I have to disagree with you. If we were all very attractive, I think we would all get used to it maybe. But I, I your point, I understand your point. But it, but it, would, it, it might be boring. Yeah, though, you know. Uh, we don't know. Right. We but, don't know. Untestable, but, untestable. But here's my thread. Sure. That, that there's as much variation inside our bodies as there is hmm. out. And that that's kind of hard for a beginning anatomy student to appreciate yeah. because they, they they want they want facts they want hard facts, yeah. but that I mean for instance there's a, a tendon at our wrist that that runs into our palm and about 85% of people have this tendon and 15% of people uh, don't and that's probably the most common variation and, and that's probably just uh, developmental it's not it's not genetic. Um, but the people who don't have it, they manage. Uh, they manage fine. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a few people that have an extra muscle on the back of their hand. It looks like a little slug under the skin, mm -hmm. uh, on the um, on the back of their hand. But it, that does not endow them with any additional uh, function that the rest of us um, don't have. But that 
Are we um, sure about that? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I haven't seen them become, uh, you know, better pole vaulters or keyboard <laughs> operators or anything else. Okay. It's, it's just, it's just a curiosity. It's just, it's just a, yeah. a, a variation. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is also true with, you know, I, you know, some people can curl their tongue. I happen to have Absolutely. that that trait. I I met this girl who was able to turn her tongue into a star. It was the craziest yeah. thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone else. Yeah be able to do that that feels like not something you learn that's just something oh, no. your body has yeah yeah that's that's just that's what makes makes anatomy interesting I, I, you know it's funny because when you look at an anatomy book and uh, you know you're a doctor uh, i took anatomy in high school uh, i don't want to say that we're equals but i do i did take anatomy so i know a little bit and thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. I'm not going to take up. Uh, don't send any of your surgeries to me. I'm not quite there yet, but um, but I know a little bit. And but when you look at the book, the book being Gray's Anatomy, let's say everything's standardized. Right. So everything, you know, everything. And it, I, you have to have a standard, you know, but I think that that sure. that gives you the impression or at least someone like me gives the impression that like all bodies are pretty similar outside of genetic defects or something. But actually, it's not true. There, like you said, there's as much variation inside as outside. That's just kind of nuts. Well, it, I guess it's it, I guess it whether it's, you know, it's just uh, uh, how close you look. Sure. I mean, you know, all, all cities uh, may look pretty much the same from you know, 50 miles up, mm -hmm. but you get down to the street level, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of individual variation. Yeah. And if you read the, if you read the fine print in Gray's Anatomy, they'll say, well, uh, the plantaris tenon is, you know, found in about 86% of uh, ankles. Um, and sometimes it's on neither side. Sometimes it's on one side and not the other. Um, so I, I guess, it, you know, if you're walking down the street, you can't tell who has a plantaris tenon and who doesn't. Right. Um, but hopefully, um, uh, yeah, exactly. But if you did an ultrasound or an MRI on them, you could you could see it in most people, but not in everybody. That's crazy. Uh, that it's just it's one of those things where I read that and I I had no idea. Uh, that that is well. I mean, to me, um, that makes it fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. Just like I like looking at different uh, people that at surgery. You anticipate the regular arrangement of the anatomy, but that you're prepared to um, uh, identify and deal with uh, variations. And sometimes you come across a variation that isn't described in the books. Yeah, I, well, I imagine you wouldn't like that as a surgeon. I don't think that's not a place that I want you to be surprised in. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the the thing, the reality is, is that we can't explore that. You know, if I've opened up a forearm and I, I find a anatomical variation, is that typically the patient would not want me to open them up all the way from their palm to their armpit to um, identify the uh, complete trajectory of that, you know, um, uh, unusual muscle. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're looking at it through a keyhole and you say, well, that that's not supposed to be here, but right. let's move it away and uh, you know, get on with our work, uh, and uh, it remains a mystery. 
<laughs> as it should, as it, as, as it should. Uh, well, this, I mean, what better place than um, you cautioning people against opening themselves up from their wrist to their armpit to see if they have a strange tendon? Uh, I think that's a perfect place to end it before we go anywhere else. But luckily, do you have time to stick around and talk about your time as a bodybuilder or a bodybuilder attendee, whatever it was? Of we course. Can, we can... Of course. That was, that was a great day. <laughs> yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. But until then, how can people get in touch with you, uh, find your book and learn about muscles or bones or choose which side they want to be on? <laughs> That's good. Well, my um, blog site is uh, aboutbone.com. And uh, I post there periodically about everything, uh, not only the, the anatomy and fun things about um turkey uh, wishbones, but also uh, interesting topics in archaeology and paleontology and popular culture and so forth. And then uh, since the bone book came out in 2000, and then now the muscle book came out this past summer, I'm putting in blog entries about uh, muscles uh, as well. But that if you want to get in touch with me is that there's a contact um, button on the um, uh, blog site, which then uh, you know, will send me an email. And so I'm always happy to learn more about muscle and bone and uh, coming on to ligaments and that uh, I get a lot of ideas about uh, topics to uh, add uh, to the blog uh, based on what readers uh, find uh, either in museums or uh, articles that they read or their own personal experiences. I get bones sent to me from Alaska now wow. uh, for uh, for identification. That's great. That's great. So, so your your bone book came out in two thousand. Muscle came out in twenty twenty three, and we look for ligaments in what twenty forty six. Is that what it's? Yeah, about that. About, okay. After it's been hopefully twenty twenty five. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Speed speed that up a little bit. Uh, well, so that that's where people can find you. Uh, and of course, if you want to find this show, we are fascinatingnouns.com, and you can find us on the web, uh, social media. We are fascinating noun on. X, formerly Twitter, uh, Fascinating Nouns on Facebook. And it, that, that's where you find everything. I'll put up all of your links there. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Dr. Roy Meals, thank you for educating me even more on all the muscles in my body. And I, like you, would choose muscle over bone. But I'm thankful that I have both. And I'm thankful that you were able to tell me about both. So thank you for, for your time today uh, and everything you've done. Oh, it's been a great fun. Thank you very much for having me. You got it. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And we even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. 
It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. And speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our shows, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.